This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Welcome to Beyond the Arc. We're recording this on Sunday. We just saw the Sixers get destroyed by the Celtics in Boston in Game 7, 112 to 88. Boston advances to the Eastern Conference Finals to, to play the Miami Heat. I'm here with Jay Kyle Mann, my co-host of the Ringers NBA Draft Show, and Tate Frazier, host of One Shining Podcast every week as well. Yeah. With Kyle Mann. Great to be here, KOC. I'm fired oh. up. We just watched a Game 7. It was fun for a little while. A little bit. <laughs> and then well, it was About half the game it was. Yeah. P.J. Tucker, you know, throwing up threes from the corner in, in the opening quarter of that game, but... Man, then we saw in the second half, Tatum just absolutely took over. 51 points broke the Stephen Curry record set in the first round against the Kings for most points in a game seven. 17 of 28 in the game, 13 rebounds, five assists, zero turnovers. I mean, we saw him dominate in a must-win game last year against Milwaukee in a game six. He did it again here, Tate. Yeah, Jason Tatum, uh, incredible in this game. And uh, like you said, I mean, it was 55-55. It looked like, wow, going to come down to the wire here in Boston. The 76ers have showed up. P.J. Tucker kept them in the game, and uh, then it was gone. And it was gone in a flash, and it happened because Jason Tatum started to attack Joel Embiid on the perimeter, got a lot of switches in the pick and roll, and uh, he just cooked them. I mean, that, that's really no other no other word for it. I mean, Jason Tatum was incredible, and uh, it kind of it's not fun for him that you break a record that was two weeks old. It doesn't sound as good, <laughs> but it still it sounds good to have the most points ever in a game seven, so he got that done. Yeah, I mean, it, with mom sitting in front row, quite the Mother's Day right. present there. But he had the whole bag going, and it was it was an interesting thing there. Where I, yeah, like the game was fifty five fifty five there at the, at the start of the third, and uh, just it, it looked like the Sixers just seemed like they got in this position where uh, the storm hit, and they didn't have anybody that could kind of bat in the hatches and calm everybody down, which has kind of been a recurring theme. Which I'm maybe we'll talk about that, but like. Um, it just seemed like they, it, they were really laboring to get offense going, and they de- defensively they seemed like they started to get stressed. Um, and the the Celtics just pedaled the metal, put them away. I mean, it was it was it was wild to watch. And, yeah. and, and it felt like no matter what the Sixers did, it's as if Doc Rivers and that coaching staff was just pushing buttons, trying different schemes. Oh, we'll try to switch Joel Embiid. Oh, we'll drop. We'll do this. We'll do that. And none of it worked. And I think ordinarily, I mean, this is Doc Rivers' fourth time in his career blowing a 3-2 lead as a head coach. He blew, you know, three separate 3-1 leads that also turned into 3-2 leads. So this has happened seven times 
in Doc's coaching career. And yet in this game, I have a hard time. The conversation's going to be, will Doc Rivers be fired? Maybe by Monday morning when this show airs, he will have been fired. But I have a hard time blaming Doc here when your two star players, Joel Embiid and James Harden, Harden in this game, nine points on three of 11, seven assists to five turnovers. Now in his last three playoff games with the Sixers, he has zero points. Wow. Zero shot attempts. Zero free throws in the fourth quarter of his last three Sixers playoff teams. For context, Ben Simmons in his last three with the Sixers had zero shots, five free throws, five points. So Harden putting up Ben Simmons' stat lines in the fourth quarter. And then Joel Embiid, I mean, he's looking like the pity MVP with 15 points of 5 of 18, 0 or 4 from 3, four turnovers. He disappeared in the last four minutes of game six, didn't even get a touch. And in this game, he was absolutely invisible as well. Kyle, I mean, like, you can't win with when your stars playing like this. It's embarrassing for Philadelphia to go out like this. I was going to say Ben Simmons did get a shot up today on Instagram. Yeah, yes. camera saw, shot. Uh, yeah, His best one. shots, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> a little, little poorly. Uh, I, I wouldn't have done that if I were him, considering, you know, the body of work. Speaking of body of works with, uh, with Doc. Yeah, I mean, Kevin, I think you and I talked about this last summer about, like, the dynamic of if James Harden isn't going to be James Harden anymore, if, it, if he isn't going to be 2014 to 20. Uh, pick your end date there, where, where where you think it ended. I mean, it was it's been in the past two or three years. Let's say twenty twenty. Where he stopped yeah. being the on ball. The on ball pressure is is the sell with James Hart because if he's not going to be, you know, people talk about what a brilliant passer he is. Like for him to sort of weaponize, I always say passing is a responsive skill set. Now you can be an off ball guy who catches and then quickly runs into another action, or you make like Maxi. Maxi yeah. does that. Yeah, Maxi does that. There are a lot of like, I mean, Lonzo Ball is is one of the big prototypes. I think whenever we talk about young players coming into the league of these guys who don't need the ball but can do a lot with the ball when they have it and Harden if he's going to dominate the ball and be and play this slow style especially paired with Embiid the scoring threat has to be there when he gets into the into the lane into the teeth of the defense and he's just not looking to score I don't know if he's favoring an injury or I don't know if he just uh, his confidence is you know shot or shaky or has faltered a little bit um, if he's not going to be that version of himself, he's going to have to shift the way he plays. And I, I, this is an ad nauseum conversation that we've had about him, but it's 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 a non-starter for the Sixers going forward if this is who he's going to be. I don't I don't know what kind of decision they're going to have to make, but they're going to have to do something. Yeah, and the best thing that they did in the third quarter after the game was pretty much out of hand was Doc got the ball back in Maxie's hands. And I thought that was a little too late, you know what I mean? But they needed someone to initiate the offense that could be a little bit under control. Harden was not that guy today. And like you said, Game 7, your stars step up. The star of the Boston Celtics had 51 points. He set a record. The stars of the Sixers were no-shows. And as much as Embiid could talk about demanding the ball and running things through him, he didn't even want to touch the paint. I mean, half the time in these offensive possessions, he was getting grenade passes with five seconds on the shot clock, and he's 30 feet away from the basket. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not on Doc Rivers, in my opinion, opinion, and a lot of people may say it is, but that comes down to stars, and uh, it's got to be frustrating because Embiid has never made the conference finals. He has all the ability in the world. He should be winning championships, and he kind of got exposed on the perimeter today, and you and I, as we watched that, we said this is uh, kind of a weird credit to Anthony Davis because we see him go out on the perimeter guard someone like Stephen Curry and he does a great job at that and it's very unique to have that ability and Embiid did not have that today against Tatum I mean Embiid got completely exposed throughout the series and yes he had any injury yes and that go that goes without saying but we've all we will seen, hear about it in the post game we will sure. you know and Embiid also throughout the season though the reason why he wasn't the defensive player of the year like Jaron Jackson is because of that perimeter aspect you're mm-hmm. mentioning and and you said it in there Tate 
you know, like Embiid in this series, so much of it felt like mindset. Like in that game six, he's like, oh, I didn't touch the ball the last four minutes. Well, he didn't demand the ball. He didn't call for it. That is partially on coaching, but it's also partially on Joel Embiid. And he had this quote I saw put out after the game today. Entering the postseason, he was talking about the mindset of of potentially winning MVP. He said, people have, have been talking about who has the most pressure to win. People want to mention me. I'm not at the top of that list. I'm not a two-time MVP. I've never made first-team All-NBA. I've never won anything. So why is there pressure on me to do something when there are guys who have won two MVPs, a bunch of MVPs, and haven't done anything either? That's a loser mindset. And I think with Joel Embiid, he needs to look in the mirror at this point in his career and say, hey, my, my supporting cast have never been perfect. I dealt with Ben Simmons, Markel Fultz busting, Sam Hinkie, you know, he's getting thrown away by the NBA. Jimmy Butler leaves, all this stuff over the years that's out of his control. But if you're Embiid, what are the things that I can do to be better moving forward for this franchise. I think he needs to really take a hard look there because folks cut like that that come out before the playoffs even begin. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. The pressure obviously is on you. You're one of the best players, MVPs or not. Yeah. And just in general with Embiid, I mean, he is a top five talent in the league. Everybody no knows that. And that's why it's frustrating because we all want to see him play at this level. I mean, and if, when he does play at that level, as we saw in Game 5, they win Game 5. And I think the reason why it hurts if you're a Philly fan or someone involved with the Philly organization, this was for the taking. This was the year. Even in the regular season, right, we were all talking about, you know, Harden takes less money. They bring in some depth. They kind of had, you know, they, they had put everything in place to go win a championship. You had the MVP. You had the scoring champ. You had James Harden, who was basically guaranteed 10 assists. You know, in the playoffs, everything was there for the taking. And that's why I hurt so much more because it wasn't like, uh, well, next year we can do this. Next year we can do that. It feels like we're close to the end of the road. And I know Doc said he has two more years, but I mean, <laughs> we'll see how long we'll see. We'll, I mean, do we really? two more hours. Yeah. <laughs> might, might be two hours. Might Again, be this two is days. Sunday, so we don't know what's for, happening. For yeah. sure. We do have a, a Eastern Conference finals coming up between the Heat and the Celtics, we now have a situation where all four teams that made the conference finals in the bubble, which people said was fake. Vindication. Clearly not oh, so man. much with the Mickey Heat and Mouse Celtics. Mickey Mouse is laughing right now. Hunt <laughs> that asterisk into the sun. <laughs> we get the Heat and Celtics again, you know, and obviously we'll talk about the Lakers and Nuggets later. Uh, but Heat and Celtics, third time in four years that face each other. We saw Miami win 4-2 to in the bubble over the Celtics. Bam Adebayo getting that big block on Tatum being one of the images that we remember from that series. Celtics winning in Game 7. Last year in the conference finals, Jimmy Butler missing the shot at the buzzer. Uh, what's your first thought, Kyle, when you think about the Celtics Heat series coming on up? Uh, it's it seems like it's kind of a mindset matchup that I really like a lot. In that, like, it's a culture matchup. It's it's a matchup of cultures. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I think that the Celtics have done a lot to sort of remedy the the issues that have plagued them over the past, you know, or the things, the walls that they've run up against. Mm-hmm. I think, and their players have matured a lot. Jalen Brown has matured a whole lot in the last couple of years. Um, Rob Williams, we'll see if they can get um, consistent production from him if they can keep him on the floor. He was an irritant today for for Joe M- LMB just being out there he was an extra thing to think about um the other thing too is Brogdon Brogdon and White have kind of come on so it's not the exact run it back kind of thing I don't think I mean I still I think that the Celtics have um they're not going to run up against the offensive sort of pitfalls that the Knicks ran up against like I don't I don't think that the 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 Heat are going to have that you know they're not going to have that element to sort of win their favor. Like I think that the Celtics are definitely going to stress the Heat more offensively, probably than any team they played. Because Cleveland, similar thing. You know, it's like they're. Uh, I just don't think that uh, 
I think offensively they're going to be the biggest challenge that Miami's had yet. Naturally, it's in the conference finals, you would think. Yeah, and I feel like the real big matchup is not even with the players. Obviously, you know, you can argue Tatum, Butler, who's the best player in the series, right? That's the conversation. But there's an obvious best coach in the NBA. He's going to be in the series. And then we have Joe Missoula. And Joe Missoula, this is his first rodeo. This is his first time in the conference finals as the guy. And I just think Eric Spolstra is going to probably put him to the test, right? I mean, that, that mm-hmm. would be scary for me if you're the Boston Celtics. I, uh, I polled around with somebody. I, I, everybody kind of, I know you guys probably have this. You have your kind of your advice, your grand advisory of like the people you really, really trust. Checks and balances. Your, your basketball yeah. people you really <laughs> trust, typically people that are in the sport. And I was kind of polling people. I was like, is Spolstra, where is he in the conversation for best coach in the world? And pretty unanimous, unanimously, people were like, he's either right there or he is. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously a lot of international coaches that probably wouldn't get their due in an American conversation about that. But Spolstra is really going to put Missoula, like you said, to the test. And this is going to be uh, a real baptism by fire, I think. I mean, well, that's going to be probably one of the advantages that Miami has is in the coaching category. Missoula, I think he did a good job to finish the series against the Sixers, made some good adjustments, putting Robert Williams on P.J. Tucker in the corner, having him help off. Smart adjustment doing that, going to seven-man rotation. Smart adjustment trimming it down. How about pulling your starters when you're up 30 points oh, with six uh, minutes to play? <laughs> wow. That'd yeah. be smart. Malone and Tibbs were, like, cracking their knuckles when they oh. saw that. Yeah, they were like, what is he doing? Yeah. And I think on paper – Boston has better depth, and yet you look at Miami, Tyler Hero goes out, and in some ways it feels like they're better off without Hero because without Hero running pick and roll, getting touches, you're seeing Gabe Vincent do more, and mm-hmm. he is shredding in the pick and roll, shooting the hell out of the ball. On defense, you got Caleb Martin stepping up. Offensively, he's hitting spot-up threes. Struess doing his thing. Duncan Robinson mm-hmm. back in the rotation, doing stuff off screens and handoffs. The Heat... If they're going to win this series, I mean, Butler's going to do what he does. Bam's going to have some games as well. It's those role players that could swing the series in favor of Miami, in my opinion. And like they've done very well so far. Yeah, when you look at Miami on paper, it's almost you're like, wait, what? This is the this is the starting five that's in the conference finals. But then when you watch them play, they're so connected. Um, they are disciplined. They don't waste possessions. And I think that would be my one knock on Tyler Hero. I'm not saying that they're not. I wouldn't say they're a better team without Tyler Hero. They're more explosive, obviously, when he's in the lineup, when he can come in and score in that second unit. But they are a more disciplined team, and they are a probably better playoff team without Tyler Hero wasting shots and wasting possessions. And it's very economical, everything that they do. And they can kind of just choke you out of a game, right? And, and there were multiple times where it looked like they would be out of games, especially in the Bucks series, right? The Bucks. By all intents and purposes, game five was over until it wasn't. And Miami's just like, oh, these guys, they don't want this. We we want this. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? And I, I think that is what scares me if you're the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I think in the pursuit, coming away, you know, talking about validating the bubble, coming away, like, what was Miami's mindset? You get to that you get to that finals and you think, okay, maybe we're a little he- ahead of schedule and we have these assets in our back pocket here that are that are potential high upside players. Like Hero, you like you have Hero and and the thing back then was like they were kind of mirroring, not mirroring, but they were borrowing a little bit from that inverted, like high post, split action, off screen stuff that like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero were running at the time. And Hero was a little more of an off ball player at that point, but the ambition was okay, we have this guy that we think could grow into an on ball creator. And then you you bring in Oladipo, you get him as a distressed asset, and you think, okay, maybe he could potentially become another thing that can make us dynamic, give mm-hmm. us another handler. But I think in the process, maybe those things just didn't pan out exactly the way that they wanted to. Hero has been good, and I th- still think he could be good, but... 
I think it could be a little bit of an addition by subtraction thing because you have total buy-in and connectivity, and you kind of are returning to their identity offensively a little bit, which maybe has eliminated a little bit of waste and maybe been why they've been able to go on this run because uh, they, they've just kind of found a rhythm with this this group that they've, they've been going with more. Yeah, Tate, give me the team that wins the series and in how many games? I think the Celtics win the series, and I think they win in seven. Kyle? I'm going to say Celtics in six. Celtics mm. in seven. Welcome back to Beyond the Arc. Let's talk about the other conference final series that we have between the Nuggets and the Lakers, the one seed versus the seven seed. Both their both those teams won their series in the semis in six games. Nuggets are favored. Minus 155 on FanDuel. Lakers plus 130. The number one question on my mind in this series is who guards Nikola Jokic? Because with Jokic, he isn't just some low-post bruiser. He isn't just a pick-and-pop three-point guy. Jokic runs through screens. They get him going like with stuff you would see run for Allen Iverson with the screen across the, the paint. You see him going through pin-down screens and down screens towards the basket. Like Watch Ayton. He's in positions he never has to be in before in that last round. It's like weird when you face Jokic. He does everything on the offensive end. And so for the Lakers, this is a non-traditional player, a megastar that you're going to have to contain. So who guards Jokic? Kyle, Tate, what do you do? You're, you're asked by Darvin Ham. Who guards Jokic in this series? I think I'll start um, with the obvious one, right, is, is probably going to be Anthony Davis, you would assume, right? You're, you're going to have Anthony yes. Davis guard Jokic. We'll obviously see that matchup. You'd probably but start with that. Probably start yeah. with that, and you just see where, where the chips may fall because Anthony Davis has probably been the best rim protector in the playoffs so far. I mean, at least the scariest, right? We saw the Warriors struggle with him, and they didn't even they, – they would just throw the ball up at the basket. They didn't even want to see him swatted. Looney wouldn't look at the rim at times. <laughs> right, like, Literally were, wouldn't look at. <laughs> they were afraid. Um, so that that's fascinating. But the one that I think would be even more fascinating. You mentioned how Aiton is in odd positions on the court. It, you know, I think a guy like Vanderbilt, Jared Vanderbilt, being able to stop him from getting a rebound and starting the break. And I think that is one of the uh, beautiful things that Nikola Jokic can do is that he can almost be your point guard, your initiator, whatever you want to call him, and he starts the break himself. But if Jared Vanderbilt picks him up full court. Do we take that away? And we saw Vanderbilt and Schroeder do that a lot with Curry. Get the ball out of his hands because he's such a creator, and then we'll we'll let the other guys beat us. And uh, I think Vanderbilt would be the one that would be fascinating for me. <laughs> Kevin kind of illustrated the point here pretty well, which is like in the NBA, it's really it's really fun whenever you can see, and I think we're seeing more and more of this when you you put players in actions that they're not comfortable being in. Like chasing is the big one. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you if you want to put. If you want to put Anthony Davis in that kind of situation, he can chase, but he's more of a hang back and kind of calculated player. He's not like he's not the kind of guy that's going to play like that, stay attached. And if you put and he's got great timing too, like yeah. at, at, like being able to to judge in time when to step up and when not to. I think that's one of his greatest qualities. And I'm perpetually amazed by who Jokic can bully. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you it, I was you talked about Vanderbilt, and I pulled up some some clips just to see some of their half court matchups. And yeah, he has hounded Jokic full court, but Jokic will just get rid of it, and then he'll just take <laughs> Vando, who's not a small guy. Mm-hmm. He'll take very athletic, very very uh, strong, and and six nine long wingspan. Uh, 
uh, and good instincts, and Jokic will just bury him like on the block. So it kind of makes you wonder, you know, you pick your poison. Is it going to be an AD thing where they hang back and AD just contests his his jumper? Or I, I don't know. Floaters, it's, yeah. It, it, it probably is just going to have to be a committee thing, honestly, because, you know, and that's, that's the genius of Jokic. And, and like, you know, because if you go pure AD on Jokic, I think you really risk a lot as the Lakers because their sort of superpower right now is AD back there playing playing center field, playing in a variety of defensive ways. Um, and I don't know, that seems like that'd be a risky thing to do, doesn't it? Part of me would rather have AD defending Aaron Gordon and, and have him roam off of him. And like Aaron Gordon in the playoffs are shooting 38.5% from three. He shot 34% over the course of the season. So if you're if you're the Lakers defense, you got to bank on somebody not shooting the heck out of the ball like Denver has throughout the postseason. So Aaron Gordon maybe he falls to his career numbers over the next four, five, six, seven games, and he shoots low thirty percent, and then ends up being a win for your defense if AD is able to help off of him. And yet you say that, but they can bring Gordon into ball screens as well. Yeah, and then they bring AD to the perimeter. So it's a it's going to be. I really do think it will be a com- by committee situation for the Lakers where it's going to be something you change up every single game maybe every quarter and just throw different looks at Denver so they don't know what's coming and they're the ones who constantly have to adjust and for the Denver side of things as well it goes the other way too Anthony Davis has been you know LeBron was amazing in game seven but so was AD Mm. the best player for the Lakers throughout the postseason has been Anthony Davis and for the Nuggets you know if you're pulling Jokic from the paint and having him depend, defend AD on the perimeter, that could be an advantageous situation for the Lakers. Is there anything you think Denver can do? What should they do when it comes to defending Anthony Davis and LeBron James? I feel like Aaron Gordon has to be on one of those guys, right? Uh, I mean, I'd assume Aaron will probably go on LeBron at first. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a good matchup. I don't really know, <laughs> depending on how LeBron picks his spots in this theory. I'm also curious how, like, AD just being there is going to affect Denver's cutting game. I think that's going to be a whole new wrinkle for them during this series. Um, but, yeah, in terms of Garden, uh, LeBron, I mean, I'd assume it'd be Gordon starting out on him, I, w- I would think. I would think so. Yeah. But I, I wonder, just with Mike Malone, you know, comes from, you know, his dad, Brendan Malone, and I know that they understand that the Lakers are going to try to steal game one so to speak they might do like a little hell mary stuff where they open up the second half and have some weird matchups and a lot of times in game one you don't want to show your hand too early but i think denver has kind of they're gonna have a sense of urgency about this game one and they may throw some different wrinkles i like gordon on lebron to open up but i also think that he might be able to give ad some trouble i just don't like Jokic being pulled out and guarding ad we saw that in the bubble and if ad is making jumpers in that high post mid-range you know right in front of the three-point line where he steps in for that little pull up i i just think that's a recipe for disaster and anthony davis like you said koc he could be the best player in the playoffs when it's all said and done and that's what he did in 2020 i mean he was incredible one of the themes for the Lakers in the entire postseason has been their X-Factor stepping up. Rui Hachimura going off. Mm. Austin Reeves, game one against Memphis in the first round. Laker, you know, LeBron and AD just letting him go off. I mean, we see Lonnie Walker have his big moment last round against the Warriors. I mean, so on and so forth. <laughs> it's been a different guy all the time for L.A. and the Nuggets as well. They've had different guys throughout the postseason have big performances. So let's go around the table here, starting with you, Tate with our biggest X-factor 
in this Lakers Nuggets series, the guy who could swing the series in the favor of their team. I love Bruce Brown. I want to say that before I pick mm-hmm. my guy. Bruce Brown was right there. It was he's neck awesome. and neck. He he's just the winner. I don't know what I mean. You can't measure a man's heart, but that guy's got a giant heart. That's Huge. all I know. Great uh, fit with Joker too. Great awesome. fit and a great signing that a lot of people made fun of right in the offseason. People were like, "Way to go, Denver! Way to put some some people around Jokic." Turns out they made some pretty quality. I mean, they, they, I'm they gonna say weren't. doofuses made yeah, fun of that. They, they, <laughs> yeah, they, they, they weren't watching Brooklyn. <laughs> right. I mean, he was playing center sometimes. I know. Anybody that watched yeah. was like, "Ooh." That's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like that <laughs> for <move>. sure. <laughs> but another good move is taking Michael Porter Jr. Yes, um, and Michael Porter Jr. I think he's the best fourth option on any team in the playoffs. He can get you thirty points. He's just uh, a he's terrifying eleven clay, basically. right? Exactly, I mean, like, and he's yeah. and he gets hot, and he's kind of like Tatum's the same way. When they get hot, you're just kind of like watch out. I mean, there's really nothing you can do about it. You can put hands in the face, you can double, you can do whatever, but it just seems inevitable. So for me, I could see Michael Porter Jr. just winning them a game, maybe even on the road, right? Where mm-hmm. he comes to L.A., he likes the bright lights. He he drops you 25, <laughs> 30 points, and you're like, wait a second, did Michael Porter Jr. just win the series? You know, that's Kyle, my guy. Kyle, who do you got? He giveth and taketh away. I would say uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull I'm gonna call an audible and I'm actually gonna take Bruce Brown. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that defensively he's gonna be a, a huge tool for them in this series and be switchable. And I think he's gonna be, um, yeah. I mean it's it's a lot of the same similar formula formula that the, that's worked for them over the course of the year. You know, in those sc- inverted screen actions with Jokic, uh, I love Bruce Brown. I, I think he's tough. I think he's gritty. Uh, they're just this is a this is a, a series of. There are a lot of sort of volatile, sort of fringe characters that could emerge. Like I, it, it Jeff feels Green. Like, it feels like a like a Sopranos episode. Like I feel like we could just see some like I did some random character from some Mo Bamba that we didn't know about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Could come oh in my and, god, is that Mo Bamba's music? <laughs> You're right, though, Kyle. Like, it could be so many different guys. It's hard to pick. It really could be. I mean, like, Jared Vanderbilt, we talked about earlier in, earlier in the context of who defends Jokic. His minutes fluctuated last round against the Warriors. They're mm-hmm. not even defending him when he's spotting up in the corner. So we'll see there. My pick is going to be Dennis Schroeder. Mm. Dennis Schroeder is the one guy. He's of, the X factor from the last series, really. Yes. Oh, and Curry. the way he defended Stephen Curry, can he replicate that against Jamal Murray, who – you know, a, a little bit bigger, you know, not not dramatically than Steph. Steph's big too, but Murray, I think, is slightly bigger. Um, I think for Schroeder, that's going to be a key in this series, how he defends Murray. And then offensively, pick and roll downhill with AD against Jokic. Schroeder's the one guy offensively. I mean, he's had a, a pretty good career, you know, especially in his prime years offensively on Atlanta. He's the one guy of all those Lakers players, D'Lo, Rui, Reeves, who hasn't had a majorly explosive offensive game. And Schroeder's the guy I'm watching this series where the Lakers might have to lean on him some night if LeBron doesn't have it or if AD doesn't have it. It could be a Schroeder game at some point in this series. And like you said, it's going to be a series of some randoms stepping up. Kyle, same thing. What is your prediction for series winner and in the amount of games? You know, I, I've had this. This has been the hardest one to think about for me because Mm -hmm. I want to give the Nuggets credit because of how much they're humming. Um, But I do think the thing you brought up with Schroeder is interesting, and Tate and I were talking about this. That like the reason that I think that the the Lakers have been able to to aggressively chase the way that they do is because of AD. And if you think about like, is that going to impact Murray in the same way? If if it does significantly impact Murray over a long period of time. Um, and wear him out, get him tired, get him right. to make mistakes. Maybe he has a tough game. He's a little more back to the basket game in his game than he Steph, does. Yeah. Uh, which is is a is a factor there potentially. I'm gonna say Nuggets in seven. 
Um, but that that's a really tough call for me. Uh, I don't feel uh, I don't, I'm not going to like pound my fist and say I'm certain about that, but mm-hmm. I'm going to lean towards the Nuggets. But it's a, it's a small margin for me. Yeah, I personally think Game One is going to dictate this series. If the Lakers win Game One, then I think it's Lakers in six, and I think the Lakers are going to win Game One. Um, I think they're riding the high. I think that they have figured out this formula where they, if they can just steal one game, game two, they can kind of sit on their heels a little bit, not show their hand, figure out some matchups they like, test out some stuff for when they go back home. And I think the Lakers win in six. So Kyle sees a KCP revenge series. Tate sees Lonnie Walker stepping up. <laughs> we were up trying again. to figure out what the revenge <laughs> was yeah. for KCP. I, it sounds good. I mean, it sounds provocative. MJ route. Make up a narrative. <laughs> Yeah, Le Bradford Smith didn't say anything. Turns out, you yeah. know, make up a narrative. LeBron said something to KCP. Yeah, I, yeah. I just don't we'll, know what. He's we'll like checks out. in the mail. You dumped me. <laughs> yeah. I'm going with Lakers and six, mm. and that means we get a Lakers Celtics finals. I think that's what the NBA wants. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Checks out. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA, I make calls, I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, guys, let's talk about a team that's not in the Western Conference Finals. And that's the Golden State Warriors. We saw them go out, get blown out in L.A. against the Lakers. And, you know, people are talking, is the dynasty over? Pretty quickly, you got Draymond Green coming out saying they'll be back. Clay thinking they'll be back. Seems like the Warriors will run it back in some form for next season. The question is with them is, 
how much does this team need to evolve their system around Steph? How much do they need to change all of the other pieces around Stephen Curry? Because the two timelines has not worked. Jonathan Kaminga barely plays. He might want out. James Wiseman, possibly the biggest bust pick they could have taken at number two, considering LaMelo on the board and up next. Imagine him if he were in the Warriors. Could have had Franz Wagner over Kaminga. It just there's been some whiffs, some risks that haven't worked out, and now they're in the position that they are. Tate, what's what do the Warriors do from here? Is it the right thing to do to bring back Draymond and Clay for potentially hefty salaries? Um, where do where are you trying to build this team around Stephen Curry moving forward? I think I bring in that trio of Steph, Clay, and Dre, and I have a PowerPoint up, and it's just a picture of Tim Duncan. And I say to these guys, like, do we want to sacrifice and make one more run? You mentioned the two timelines. If you guys are in, if we buy in and we want to go try to win again, let's take these young guys and let's go get some more veteran. Let's bulk up and get guys that are more on our timeline to go win a title, try to compete for three more years with this group. Clay, can you take a pay cut for us? Draymond, can you take a pay cut for us? You know that you're not who you once were. Yes, you deserve to get some sort of legacy payment, right, because of the work that you put in. But if we do buy in, the three of us, and you are a big three as you have been, Steph Curry's the son. You know what I mean? And he, and he is the person that we have to appease in this situation. He looked prime and ready to go make a run for another championship. He's not a concern, in my opinion. But if those two guys can buy in, take less money, have a little bit of uh, you know self-awareness, right? I know it's a business and we don't want to do that. But if that were to happen and that conversation happens, I think you have a real chance to maybe dump Jordan Poole or Kaminga or one of these guys that have value elsewhere in the league and get some more reliable players, starters, whatever you want to call it. And especially when you see Eagle Dollar retiring, and it just felt like the, the second ship of Poole and Kaminga and Moody, even though I liked Moody, but you have a guy like you try to go find more Dante DiVincenzo's of the world to come in and kind of steady the ship. And that would be my conversation. But if, if those guys still want to get paid, then maybe it is time that, that we actually pivot, you know, at, at a large scale level. So we'll see what happens. Getting more DiVincenzo's would be a big win considering he was far better than Jordan Poole. And, and, and Poole, <laughs> He's and just a steady player. He's a more mature player, and, right? I mean, and, and Poole, like, I, like uh, this time last year, I mean, I feel like with Jordan Poole, he was like, oh, my God, they got their young guy. Someone popped. Mm -hmm. And then in the finals, you know, his limits start getting limited and his minutes start getting limited. Boston's attacking him on defense. He gets punched by Draymond. His season, you know, statistically on the surface, oh, 20 points per game. Efficiency's not the same. But he's always been a streaky three-point shooter. And then he just cratered in the playoffs. And he was a total liability on defense, sloppy as a playmaker, I feel like for the Warriors, he's one of the biggest whiffs as well, considering they paid him $128 million. Right. And now at this point, I don't know if you can keep him. I don't know if you want him part of your future. The Warriors are suddenly in a tough position here, Kyle, right? Like They, they are. They're in a really tough position with, with the older guys. Draymond, we saw him just a couple years ago when he was a little bit out of shape. What it that looks like when he's not his prime self, Clay fell apart in the postseason he was up and down during the regular season and now you get this pool contract young guys with diminished value do you think the Warriors can get back and win another title 
I think you have to start from the question of how how strong do we think that the the, the core is, and it, and you start asking the question of like where is their decline? I mean, a, a dream. I think we can just set Steph over here. He's, yeah, he's, he's ready fine. to play it. <laughs> he's ready to play at a Finals MVP, League yeah. MVP level, probably for a couple more Steph, years. Steph, put your earmuffs on. This isn't about you. It's about the other two. Guys. <laughs> Minimum. <laughs> and Draymond, I still think defensively is brilliant. Uh, I, I think that you know we talked a lot about like in that Lakers series about like oh well, Darvin Ham tried these guys and and we sort of demerited Steve Kerr. But the big thing too is that like they have this two pillar thing of, of Davis and LeBron gives gave them a little more freedom and that that what we saw in these playoffs was it was one pillar for 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 Golden State but I do think that the philosophy works and the other thing too is that like Clay you know Clay Clay is going to have to look in the mirror and uh, I know he sells a lot of shoes in China maybe in a few years he could recoup some of that money yeah, he could sacrifice to Anto, yeah. yeah I don't know but. Uh, I do think I don't see a seismic like philosophical shift from them. I think the way they play works. It'll continue to work. They just need to find a way to import more high quality decision makers, like you said. And then you start talking about like what is leverageable on our on our roster. Okay, there are probably Kuminga believers out there. He's still young. He still has a lot of things. I think great that, like, defensive moments. Anytime he got consistent run. Yeah, yeah, young guy. I mean, and and you look at like what he could potentially do as a switchable player, as maybe even a spot up player someday. Um, it, it could come, but they just don't. That's the that's the trouble with the two timeline thing is that you don't have time for a cake to bake. Mm-hmm. You know, we need something to come out of the oven quickly. And like, you know, it was great that Poole played well, and you know, he was like I think the 29th pick I think in that draft. But you know, they turn around if he was on a salary that was kind of standard with that, that would work. But I I just think they're gonna have to find they're gonna have to find a way to get more switchable guys who are also great decision makers. But that's harder to do than ever because of the irony of this is it's so hard because of the tidal wave they're seeing the the repercussions of the movement that they started so now those types of players that you're trying to get on the floor that are great decision makers that are switchable those are the guys that they kind of uh blitz the league with with the lineup of death so they're harder to get on that basis it makes me feel a little bleak about it because of the money and because of the scarcity of those guys so the pay cut is the only thing, or maybe guys just go out of their way to come play with those guys. Sure. Right. That's yeah. the only thing that you yeah. can really sell to the rest of the league, that we are locked in here, that we all are coming back. And look, Draymond's a great the recruiter. quarters of the world, those right. types, right? Exactly. And he was a distressed asset at the mm-hmm. time that, yeah. that played up. And maybe it's that kind of thing. Right. Know? And Draymond, go recruit, right? I mean, that's what he did the first time. <laughs> I mean, that's what he can yeah. do. Draymond yeah. can recruit if he buys in and believes. Got the clutch connection now. And, and that was obviously the pool contract obviously had some sort of effect on everybody it affected Jordan Poole in the way that he played because now he plays like a superstar or like he deserves to be a superstar <laughs> right he's getting paid like a superstar so he should yeah, he doesn't but that, perform like it right sure. but it impacts the Draymond Clay right you see this other guy who wasn't a part of all of the success but then he comes in and gets the last bit of it then he gets paid like he was you know what I mean there's a lot of stuff that goes into it and maybe there's a team around the league that believes Jordan Poole could be their son you know what I mean like he's not Steph Curry for Jonathan Isaac right there you go (laughs) I love it. I love any Jonathan Isaac trade talk, yeah. but I, I think no, <laughs> I think I think the, Curry could get Isaac back. Yeah. The D'Lo thing is a good example of, right. of of a pool situation. Pool last year in a way more con- like solid, like great foundation, a lot of leadership, a lot of connectivity, and good offense on the floor. You can handle the volatility of a Jordan Pool, and it plays to your favor. D'Lo Russell drives you crazy. You get into a situation with a LeBron and an AD, we're like, all right, we're rock solid. D'Lo, just go be your aggressive, risk taking self, and then he's mad 
maddening in, in the other way. Yeah, you're just right. like, we, this, we can't handle, now we have to deal with this guy playing well. It's just, they're going to have to get back to, if they're going to keep And if him, he's not playing well, you can take the ball out of his hands and exactly. it's no That's harm, ex- no foul. Exactly yeah. it, yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see with this team. It really is. Like They're the team I'm watching the most right now because also Bob Myers – Will he be back? He's been doing his podcast. He's on his tour. Like, hey, I'm available. Pay me. Pay me, Joe Lacob. <laughs> I mean, we don't know who's going to be running the team. We don't know what Draymond will be getting paid. Clay will be getting paid. If those guys will be even back, I mean, we'll see how things manifest over the next couple of weeks and months ahead of free agency. If, if you had to yeah. guess, KOC, do you think Draymond will be back? I because think they'll be back. I think yeah. they will be, too. To be. I, yeah. I'd be surprised if they're not back. I, I'd be very surprised if we don't see Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green in the Warriors starting lineup next year. I'd be surprised. But you never know. Like things can change. Draymond could very well be get get recruited by another team as well. They might be will, willing to pay him much more than the Warriors are. They have the CBA restrictions with those new rules coming up. If they hit the luxury tax, the second or apron repeater tax, all that stuff that are factors for the Warriors. Where maybe Lakeup says, "Hey, let's take a little step back for mm-hmm. a year or two and to readjust everything around Steph." Because we're we'll not see. sure that Joe Lacob thinks Steph Curry's the son. You know what I mean? We're 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 always oh, wondering man. if he thinks he is the number one priority. And that was always the question, even the first iteration, right? And that's why Kevin Durant was such a conversation point. So maybe that is the that is what's gonna be fascinating with this whole group. Over the weekend, we saw that Monty Williams was fired by the Phoenix Suns two years after going to the finals. They've had, you know, one of the best records in basketball, but from my understanding is Phoenix was, A, just in need of a change. You know, the roster might not change a ton this offseason from a foundational point of view. There's not a lot that they can do with their assets. The best way to change the system is to change the coach. Over the course of the season, I remember it was late November, early December, around the time when Devin Booker and Chris Paul were out. I remember hearing the Suns are trying to get Monty Williams to get Bridges more touches, and he just was unwilling to do it for three, four weeks. And then once he did, boom, Mikel Bridges blossoms. During the playoffs, he's playing non-shooters in games one and two against Denver. There's a frustration with how slow some adjustments were happening. Um, despite that, Monty is a you know he installed a system, a culture there, a very good coach. Uh, but it seems like kind of a philosophical difference. Maybe wrong coach, wrong time when he was previously the right coach. And now we have a situation where maybe they do make changes. Maybe they can't make many changes. They don't have a lot of assets. Kyle with Phoenix. What's the number one thing on your list if you're in James Jones's front office this offseason? Is it moving DA? Is it a big trade? Is it free agency? Like, what's the number one thing on your mind that needs to be resolved with this Phoenix Suns roster to take a step up next year? The big thing is, it, can they? They're going to be kind of doing the same similar thing to what Golden State's going to be doing. Can they get shooting on the floor and get defend and get like defensive connectivity, switchability on the floor? Um, I would think that. Um, I would think Chris Paul is probably going to put his name in the in the hat in the ring to be the head coach. That's, first of all, honestly, <laughs> I'm half kidding. No, I, I'm not. I'm not kidding. That was going to be my first thought. I thought that there is a real chance that like sometimes it's not the message; it's the messenger. And I think Monty kind of, for whatever reason, it felt like he lost this group. Right? I mean, it just there was something off. You yes. can't get beat by 30 points in back to back. You know, sometimes you lose games. your voice in the locker room. Of course, it happens. And Chris Paul's voice is a very prominent voice, and they seem 
seemed like they were kind of like president, vice president. You know, they were running on the same ticket. They were campaigning together. And there was some connectivity. Obviously, Chris is not on the court, so that changes things. But I, I think that, honestly, you know, you bring in a new owner. What is a new owner going to do? He's going to meddle. And I think he wants <laughs> them to meddle in this situation and say, all right, I want to find the coach that's going to make Kevin Durant happy, who I just traded for, who's going to make Devin Booker happy, my franchise player that's already here. And if Monty is frustrating those guys and they feel like he can't make the adjustments to help them win, especially when you saw Jason Kidd do it to you, especially when you saw Mike Malone do it to you, um, I, I just think that you lose faith in the in the messenger, and that's why they had to make a move. For sure, I, I agree with you, and, and I think with KD, I mean they, you know, Ishbia makes that big move. He's the one who pushed the trade bridges and trade Cam Johnson with all those picks and new that, owner, yeah, right? new, owner new owner syndrome. I mean, we've already seen reports about how he's kind of like absorbed, taking some power from James Jones. Ishbia is going to have a lot of say in this front office moving forward, and we'll see if that ends up being a good thing or a bad thing. And for the Suns at this point. It's it's a weird position to be in because you got Katie, Booker, Landry Shamit, and DeAndre Ayton as your only guaranteed contracts for next season. Chris Paul is half guaranteed. CP3, we've seen the pros and cons of having him on your team. He does run a steady ship. They probably could have used him early on in the first half against Denver. They didn't have him. But there's also pros. You see the ball move better without him. Sometimes there's a fluidity to your offense. The He's pace all, picks up. The pace. Mm-hmm. It, it moves faster, which can be good for Booker especially. Booker can be a playmaker. He can run the show. He's that, come into his own yes, in that sense a lot. Has. 100%. All those reps when the Suns were the bright future Suns are beneficial at this point. So there's pros and cons to CP3, never mind the fact that he just can't stay healthy. To me, the number one thing you have to do is finding an upgrade at point guard. And whether that's a Fred Van Vliet, or bringing in Kyrie Irving, granted there's pros and cons there with Kyrie, somebody who just fits this this system better than CP3. I feel like, like Monty, he was part of building it and leveling it up, but now it's at the point where he'd be better off somewhere else. What about Russell Westbrook? No, thank you. That's the one that fascinates me. I, I feel like if they're if they get him, yeah, I think there's a world in which they try to recruit Westbrook to that team, and they try to get Westbrook. The only person that he's ever deferred to, Russell Westbrook, in his career is Kawhi Leonard, and he did it for what three weeks, or you know, until Kawhi yeah, got hurt. True, but that's the first time he's ever deferred to anyone ever. And I wonder if you brought him into this situation, and he and Kevin Durant are apparently on better terms these days, and you have Devin Booker, would there be a world in which that Durant and Westbrook defer to Booker, say, this is your team, you're the younger guy, we're going to help you be a part of this big three, and we're going to put the the emphasis on winning, and then you get a coach that can kind of help mature that group well, together. that's it. That's it. I, I think the tedious thing that they're going to be doing is balancing the idea, the idea of a tactician like as someone who is a meddling tactician who mm-hmm. is going to be able to be really creative. But I don't know that you want to totally do that because of the brilliant sort of improvisational skill that like that Durant and Booker, we even saw that in this series, that they were almost... Could they, Bud be good for them in that sense? Where like he is Bud, Bud doesn't need to meddle, which is his weakness as a coach, is those mid-game adjustments. Yeah. Would have him having a Booker KD combination be beneficial because he can build the system? We know that's what Bud's good at. Yeah, I just I feel like KD is just he really leans towards those player friendly like former players. I I honestly wonder the Russ thing is interesting. You know you're grinning like you know where I'm going. This I, it makes me wonder if you do a two a two sided thing with this where you somehow go get Ty Lue 
who spoke to Westbrook and got a different side out of him, and mm-hmm. you do those two things as a one-two punch, maybe as an option. If you were going to bet – because I, in any other circumstance, like you said, Russ's like, willingness to defer is so conditional and so finicky that I would not want to bet on it. God bless Ty Lue. He's the he's the person who got who motivated him to do that. That might be an option they could take. No, I thank, like Ty Lue. No, thank you. You're lo- you're losing you're losing in the first and second round again next year. If you get Russell Limited options, KFC. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 if grasping at straws here. Van Vliet, Kyrie, Russell Westbrook. Give me I mean. give me those guys over Russ any day of the week. No, there thank you. you. There's also some other news over the weekend. We all woke up on Sunday morning and we look at our phones and we see, oh. John Morant, once again, flashing a gun on Instagram Live. Uh, that happened over the weekend. I mean, I guess apparently the you know 96 or so hours of rehab and the Jalen Rose puff piece interview and all of that stuff, the eight-game suspension, nothing changed there. And with Ja, I mean, you know, there was an image of him two weeks ago guzzling tequila in a club like it was a beer. Nothing's changed with Ja. The moral aspect of this is a greater, broader discussion. I'm very interested in it from the perspective of the Memphis Grizzlies mm-hmm. because you need to ask yourself as a franchise, like you know everything with Ja, like your, your executives, your coaches, your team attendants, your other players in the locker room, they know the full extent of the Ja Morant experience. So they can answer this question better than anybody. Do you have trust that Ja Morant can be professional enough to be the face of your franchise, the guy that you build around, the guy that you market if the answer is yes, then yeah, like you you stand by Jaw and you help him every way you can to grow into a man. You know he's only twenty three right now. He's living his life like many twenty three year olds do. You try to help him out, but if the answer is no to that question, that you think Jaw can't be that, I think you have to consider trading Jaw Morant as soon as this offseason. He's signed through the twenty seven twenty eight season. He's an All NBA level talent. He's only twenty three years old. So there's plenty of reason to keep him. We know how great of great as a player Ja can be. But if all that other stuff adds up, if there's the injury concern, we've seen him have so many scares with his reckless playing style. That needs to be factored in as well. you got to think about trading Ja this offseason if the answer is yes to that question. Am I crazy for feeling that way? No, I think um, it, it's a, like you said, it's a very large conversation about like kind of where you stand morally with this situation, right? It doesn't. Right now, it's not impacting the basketball because, I mean, a lot of people thought he should have been on an all-NBA team this year. He's obviously one of the most electric players we've seen in the game in a long time. He is someone that should be a face of the young USA basketball crop with Zion, right? Those are the two guys we should all be pulling for at the end of the day. (laughs) Fortunately, they're not. And unfortunately, they're not. Right, and it has not panned out at all. And I think with the jaw situation, you have to, from a basketball standpoint, you look at his backup point guard. Pretty good. And when he does play, he wins you games, and he knows how to They, to they pl- win a lot of games. Tyus Jones is a really good basketball player. So you kind of say to yourself, well, we can have Tyus be the guy while we go try to find who the other guy is. And maybe you can find that with a trade for John Moran. And you shop around the league, and you say, what young – first, where are the disgruntled stars elsewhere, like a Bradley Beal, whoever it may be? You go look around, and then where are the young stars that teams are like, I'm not sure he might be, he could be. Could we go say, hey, Detroit, what do you think about Kate Cunningham for John Morant? 
and we and we try to get Cade down here. And they we break tr- the phone. I think. They would, they would, they'd hang up so hard it would break the phone. Well, it would, the, it would the, explode. The, the, the Pistons, you know, might hang up the phone there. But if you're calling the team with the number two pick and say, see what the value John, is, John ja, ja Morant for Scoot Henderson. That's what we're there talking. I mean, and then maybe you build a deal from there where it's number two and X amount of future picks or other players. And Tyus like can shepherd in Scoot. Like for he sure. can be your Scoot. One hundred percent fits them culturally. We're getting way down the rabbit hole with that. But I think <laughs> I think the big. I think the big thing is what you said is that like the basketball they are kind of compartmentalized one needs to solve itself for the other to sustain itself and I think that like Ja his basketball on court stuff I think is still there's still leverage there for them and I think that would be the argument to make a move now before something even further goes south where you're like people around the league I know there are people who have faith in him and there's a lot of of hubris from organization to organization they're like if he was here (laughs) he'd be fine you know how many many billions of deals have gotten done on that line of thinking that would be the argument to me if you were going to do it this summer is that uh, the basketball stuff still makes sense and we can we can figure out the other stuff as we go I mean Mm. I think there's still be plenty of value in Ja, right? I mean, I think another organization would say, we'll take him into a different culturally, different state, city. And maybe that resets his mindset, right? To see the Memphis Grizzlies say, yes, we did give you the keys of the franchise, but we also took those back from you. And maybe that creates some sort of humility that he goes and moves. Right. He's like, you know what? I'll prove this to you. Yeah, this is the biggest mistake Memphis has ever made. And you're I, trading me, right? Everything I've done here, the fan base loves me, right? And you're getting rid of me. That's insane. Angry Don't, Jaw would be okay. must see television, right? Yes. <laughs> right. We'd all yeah. be watching. Absolutely, would be. Which yeah. is why, like, if you're in the West, the Wolves or the Jazz, Jazz, you get plenty of picks. You could do it. Wolves, they don't have a lot of assets, but they do have quality talent they could trade bars close early there oh i know from experience (laughs) that'd be a great you know i'm I'm just saying the rockets they john moran in utah would probably be the funniest cultural (laughs) event of all time it would be great (laughs) dude make it happen danny age make it happen you remember the ai kid that was in the full outfit that went to the game the little white kid that went full ai like we're gonna get a lot of those in utah we're gonna have a lot of issues with that oh my god the rockets the opposite of utah he could have his jersey hanging in the wrong rafters next to james Harden if in Houston, but in the East, I think it's more likely Memphis would want to send him to the other conference. So in the East, you got teams that are desperate. You got like the Bulls, the Wizards. They want to take a step up. They want to be something. Teams with talent but in need of a centerpiece, like the Nets and the Knicks, bigger market. And then younger teams who have mm. assets, the Magic, the Raptors. I think a lot of those teams, they like despite everything, they'd be like, yeah, we'll bring in John Morant and we'll turn him into the megastar, the face of the franchise, the guy who's on Nike billboards and shoe stores. We can turn him into that and make it a reality. Mm. I, I think a lot of those teams can end up wanting John Morant. Yeah, I could see Masai Ujiri getting on the phone and saying to himself, you know, we, we got some picks, we got some players we'll throw into this and we'll make him a star here. And if you're Nike, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation because uh, he is supposed to be the guy. It was supposed to be Zion is at Jordan, which is a Nike brand, and it's supposed to be Ja at Nike. And these two guys are supposed to sell shoes and be the face of the brand. You did you some scouting be. earlier today, you were saying. Yeah, I went to I went to the Nike Los Angeles store here at the Grove. I just wanted to see if they had any Ja memorabilia. Huge Get it before it's gone. And I'm taking a picture of it, and the guy that works there is like, yeah, man. He's like, you need to get that now. <laughs> <laughs> so the people are aware. They are very aware. <laughs> It'll be. It's gonna be very interesting. Interesting to see what Memphis does, and you know, you hope for Ja 
You know, he's this young kid. He's got some bad influences in his life. Where's Tony Allen? Yeah. Where's Zach Randolph? Let's bring them I in. Know. Let's have them as advisors. Let's let them. Because Zebo was a franchise player for this team. And if you know anything about Zebo, I mean, he's out there. You know what I mean? For he, sure. He's really, he's really with the shits, as the kids would say. You know what I mean? And he was a great leader for this franchise. And people forget they were up 2-1 on the 2015 Warriors. They could have won that series before Draymond great and Curry grind. got it all the, Right. So I don't know. I think there's people. You want to make it work. Yes. I mean, you want if like like that. The question earlier. I don't want to give up. Do you, on do you feel like he can be the face of your franchise? You feel like he can be professional? The answer is yes. There, you got to do everything you can to make it work because of how special of a talent that he is. Mm-hmm. But if no, like you have Desmond Bain, you have Jaron Jackson Jr., who not only is a defensive player of the year, but he's a knockdown three point shooter. He showed more off the dribble. There's there's a lot of and maybe young, he's your franchise player. Maybe and like you get so much young depth on that team where if you did move John and just recalibrate the pieces, you could still be a very good team like you have been without John recent years when he's been out for suspensions or for injury, whatever it might be. You can still have a lot there. Like the, the point is, is with Memphis, they have so much good with Ja that if you are without him, you can still be special moving forward. And so for Memphis, they have some tough questions coming up this offseason. They really do.